Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. This morning, Brother Rayleigh began to talk about um, in his introduction to his subject on Jonah struggling with the title. Sometimes it's, uh, it's kind of strange how that works. Any ministers here would understand that. Sometimes you can get a thought and can't really kind of put a title to it to help center people's thoughts around that. And uh, that's better than the other way. Sometimes I can get a title and not find anything to go with that. You can probably live a lot longer on the meat without the title than you can the title without the meat. But uh, I thought it a little bit ironic because I've had the same struggles. It must have been something in the air yesterday. And, and uh, so he just caved in and just named his sermon Jonah. And uh, just right behind him, only a few steps away and a few miles to the west of him, I caved in and I'm just going to call my sermon Samson. Amen. And uh, <laughs> so I, I felt a lot better about that after he got through this morning. And uh, for the last few days, I have been reading once again about a man in the book of Judges named Samson. I think there's a lot of images that come to our mind when we think about this man. Most likely, I think, perhaps, it was the New Testament writer, James, that somehow cut through all of the fodder and hit the very core, perhaps, of, uh, of what per, perhaps best describes this man named Samson. James 1 and 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I know that's not generally the image that we think about or perhaps that's not the go-to scripture when we think about this man named Samson. I'm not here to discredit him in any form or fashion, but I feel very, very kin to what Brother Rayleigh was talking about in the life of Jonah. Not here to try to discredit anything, but I do feel that the Lord directed my heart as I was reading this this week, I just kept going back to this passage and reading this story again and again. Although I've, I've been raised in church and ra raised around church certainly all of my life, have heard the story of Jonah countless times, but there's nothing like just reading it verse by verse, letting that kind of marinate in our heart as we move along. Amen. One writer said of Samson, he was... He was a man that was bold in the presence of other men, but seemingly weak in the presence of women. While he was empowered by the Spirit of God supernaturally at times, there were those undeniable moments in his life where the Spirit of God would just move in his life in, a, in an undeniable fashion. Yet this same man with the same flesh would yield his body to the appetites of humanity. 
Samson was born into the world with a very specific and a very divine call upon his life. That call was to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Israel had been in, in, uh, in captivated or in captured by the Philistines for 40 years. Uh, there's a lot of things I found strange about this, and I, I'll not try to touch every point that crossed my mind, but it was odd to me that in 40 years of captivity, they never cried out for deliverance, that somehow they had just grown comfortable being where they were. However, it was his unstable nature that proved to be his undoing. Although he was divinely called of God from birth, although the Lord had appointed his life a mission, if you would say it this way, that Samson was born with a job description. He was born with something to do. He fought the Lord's battles by day, but somehow or another, it was just the undoing of his life that he disobeyed his commandments later. I find it strange that the name Samson means sunny, and yet he ended up in absolute darkness, and that in a most literal fashion in the sense that the Philistines that he should have conquered not only conquered him but gouged out his eyes and left him in utter darkness. Four chapters in the book of Judges are devoted to the history of Samson. In Judges 13 and 14, we're introduced to not just Samson, but we're introduced to his parents. But it's not very long before that we see his instability start wrecking havoc in his life. There are a few things that we can clearly see in these few passages of Scripture, and so in just a few minutes, I want to mention just a few of those. Undoubtedly, he was a child of promise as an angel visited his mother and father and began to talk about the call that was upon his life. Verse 5 gives Samson's job description that I mentioned a moment ago in somewhat cryptic detail. But the scripture says in the ending of verse five says he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Something in the mind of God perhaps knew that Samson would not be the ultimate deliverer, but he would begin a process. Unlike the previous judges, Samson did not deliver his people from enemy control. Samson merely began a work of deliverance and others would come and finish that. Samson was powerful, but he was unpredictable. Samson was mighty at times, but so unstable at other times. And so ultimately, God was going to have to have voices like Samuel who would pray prayers and touch the throne of God. He was going to have to have someone committed to his cause and his will like David, a man after his own heart, to finish the job. It's interesting to note that when God wants to do something really great in his word, oftentimes, I would not say exclusively, but, but oftentimes, the Lord didn't speak to an angel or the Lord didn't send an angel, but the Lord, or rather an army, but he sent an angel. In scripture, often an angel would visit a couple and promise to send them a child through which the victory could be won. Just a few examples of that. I think the ultimate plan of salvation uh, was, was absolutely put underway or set into motion when God called Abraham and Sarah and gave them a child named Isaac. When he wanted to deliver Israel from Egyptian bondage, God sent a son to Amram and Jochebed named Moses. 
And so an angel came and said, there's a child coming. An angel came to Abraham and Sarah and said, there's a child coming. When in later years, Israel desperately needed revival, God gave Hannah a promised child named Samuel who would serve his entire life in the temple. When the fullness of time arrived, God again through an angel spoke to Mary and Joseph and said, you're gonna have a child and this will be his responsibility and this will be his name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Babies are fragile and it would seem like that would be the most unlikely source and the last thing that we would ever consider for an answer However, through the writings of the apostle Paul, Paul said to the church of Corinth, he said that God would use the weak things of this world to confound the wise or the mighty. Amen, I'm thankful that God has a plan. Samson was a part of that plan. Like John the Baptist, Samson was a Nazarite from his mother's womb. What a unique call. The word Nazarite comes from a Hebrew word that means to separate or to consecrate. Nazarites were people who at least for a stated period of time would be consecrated unto the Lord for a special cause, a special reason, and sometimes for a special season of time. But there were some things that came with the Nazarite call upon their lives. I know I've seemingly the Lord has just brought me back to this again and again, but I, I, I'm just gonna obey him. We're talking about this Nazarite now. I have taught on this uh, in depth, but we know that three things that uh, a Nazarite had to, a Nazarite vow would prohibit in your life. They were to abstain from drinking wine or strong drink. They had to avoid touching anything dead and they had as a mark of their consecration, they had to allow their hair to grow and go uh, grow and go uncut. The laws governing the Nazarite vow, you can read about that in, in the book of Numbers chapter six. So even before Samson was born, Samson's mother, who also was a part of this Nazarite vow, not just Samson himself, but his mother, his mother, she had to be careful what she ate. She had to be careful what she drank. She had to be careful not to touch anything that was dead. Why? Because in her womb, in her womb was a man who had already, a Nazarite vow had been placed upon her life. Her diet, what she ingested was going to influence her unborn Nazarite son and possibly defile him. So she began this journey all the way from conception until his birth to be very careful, amen, not to violate this vow. I think it is more than uncanny, the role and the responsibility that we as parents have upon our children. Amen, we need to be very careful what we partake of. Amen, because what we partake of has the ability to to, to trickle down and, and affect their lives. And so I just reached to parents today, a huge responsibility that's placed upon the shoulders of parents, not just to feed and clothe and protect them. Obviously, that should go without saying, but the spiritual responsibilities that are upon our lives to protect those that God has entrusted in our care. Samson's Nazarite vow wasn't something that he voluntarily took. God gave that to him. 
And as I said a moment ago, his mother was even a part of this. Not only was she to avoid anything that related to the grape or that would lend itself to strong drink, but she was to avoid foods that were unpure or deemed unclean for the Jews. Ordinarily, a Nazarite vow was for a limited period of time, but not always because we find that exception in the life of Samson. This vow was to last his entire life. According to Judges 13 and 7, the Bible says, For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb until the day of his death. Now this was something that Manoah and his wife would have to teach their son. They would have to remind him because I believe that Samson was just an ordinary child. I don't think he wore a cape. I think he played in the mud. I think he did everything that a child would do and so a parent is now forced to the role and the responsibility of teaching him the importance of abstaining from these things. Why? Because there's a call of the Lord upon your life. You gotta be careful because there's a call of the Lord upon their life. And so the call of God upon their son became an obligation of the parents to train him in the work that God would ultimately send him to do. Now, you know, we might think that a little bit odd, but if we just perhaps you do or maybe not but when you think about the links that parents go to to, uh, to to see to it that their child is an Olympic star they train their childhood they, they, their childhood is given to those sorts of things and so I don't think we should feel sheepish or bashful about training our children up in the way of the Lord and saying this is the path walk ye in it Amen, this is the path and walk ye in it. So we shouldn't be ashamed of that when we see the links that the world will go to. Amen, to train their children in the ways and the things of the world. Then I say, Lord, help us as children of God to never be bashful about the call of God that may be upon our children. It's important to understand the timeline of the book of Judges. This was a time of tremendous apostasy. This was a time of anarchy. But in the midst of all of the apostasy, in the midst of all this upheaval, here was a man and his wife that were still godly in their heart. They were still godly in their home. And in the midst of everything they had devoted themselves to, an angel of the Lord came to them with a very specific message. I want to speak to the church in 2000. 2017 and tell you that in the midst of everything that's going on in our world, I believe that we can still have hallowed homes. Amen. I believe that we can still have godly families and the spirit of the Lord can still speak as a light even in the midst of darkness all around us. Amen. It's apparent to me that God was still working through this devoted couple regardless of the times that they were living in. God Amen, I believe we'll still call young people to his service. And so I pray every day, amen, I'm not alone in this, but I pray every day for our young people that God will preserve and protect them. Amen, I have been preaching a lot in the last few months to them and about them because I don't want them to think they've got to wait till they're 18 or 20 or 30 before they give themselves to God. But God can use them and call them, at least God can call them long before he uses them God can call them to a great service, praise God certainly young Samson brought light and joy to Manoah and his wife, after all they thought they would never have a family 
And uh, now he begins to bring not only light in their home, but he was there to bring light to Israel through some very, very dark days of opposition. The hand of God was on him in a special way. I, I think the secret of Samson's great strength was indeed his Nazarite vow. Amen. While his uncut hair and, and his abstinence from other things was, uh, was certainly symbolic of that vow, I believe the real source of his strength was the Spirit of God. It was that Spirit of God that would come on him at those sundry times. And as you consider the record of Samson's life, you get the impression that uh, in some ways, don't take this out of uh, out of uh, context here, but he had somewhat of a sense of humor when you think about the riddles and things of that nature. At the base of all this, though, it just seems like that Samson didn't take the call that was upon his life very seriously. Amen, and I wanna just encourage parents and I wanna encourage young people today. Amen, when you feel the, the hand of God upon your life, don't do anything to circumvent that. Don't do anything to upstage what the Lord is trying to do. And as parents, when we sense that early on, we ought to pray prayers, amen, over our children and ask God to keep them and protect them. And when I'm talking about the call of God, I wanna be specific. I'm not saying that necessarily the call of God will take our children to be foreign missionaries or to be home missionaries. I'm not excluding that, but I'm gonna tell you that every church needs stable saints. Amen, every church needs families in it that are solid and secure, their minds are made up, their hearts are fixed. And so I pray that the Lord would call our children at an early age just to be good, strong men and women in the kingdom of God. And then if God decides to use them somewhere else, so be it. But you know what? Amen, God can't use them in Ethiopia if they're not first established at home. God can't use them to go start a church in Detroit or somewhere else if God hasn't first found some security and some foundation and, and some, some security in their own home. Amen. Praise God. You can't be unfaithful here. Hit and miss here, on again, off again here, and then God just scoop you up and send you somewhere else and all of a sudden you're gonna morph into something spiritual. <laughs> Eagles are not born buzzards. And then just somewhere along the line, they morphed into an eagle. Eagles are born eagles. Amen. So if you want to be an eagle in the end of your life, you need to start trying to be an eagle right now. Amen. And let God take you. Praise God. Let God take you to that place. Another characteristic of Samson is found in the fact that he seemingly, for the most part, at least, worked alone. We obviously think in Scripture that he had... Uh, to have, have some help uh, to do some things, but unlike other leaders who amassed armors, armies for 20 years, he played the champion, but he failed to act like a leader. He meant Samson had this unpredictable character that proved to be his undoing. According to Hebrews 11.32, Samson was a man of faith. He made his way to that, that, that uh, roll call of the heroes of faith, but he certainly wasn't a faithful man. He wasn't faithful to his parents' teachings. He wasn't faithful to a Nazarite vow. He wasn't faithful to the law of the Lord. Some say, well, how in the world did he wind up in Hebrews 11? That's called mercy. Mercy. So we should never mistake God's mercy in our lives. It didn't take long for Samson to lose almost everything that Lord had given him except his strength, but he finally lost that. 
The Lord had given Samson such a godly heritage. He had been raised in a home that knew nothing but honor unto the Lord. But when Samson fell in love, he wouldn't listen to his parents even when they warned him. And I just want to speak to parents as well for this next few moments this morning. Samson, I found this kind of striking even though I've read it before, but when Samson first saw that harlot, he said, that, that's, that's who I want. His mother and father said, well, what about these good girls around here? And at first they tried to defend that a little bit, but he said, no, that's what I want. And it just seems like at that slight desire that they just went right along with the plan, right along with the program. Amen. Samson had wandered a few miles on a journey to Tim, Timnah. He had wandered just a few miles into enemy territory and was here that he was captivated by this Philistine woman and decided to marry her. Now that, of course, was contrary to God's law. And here is Samson that's a man living by sight and not by faith. He had his eyes on what he could see, not his heart on what he knew to be true. Samson was controlled by the lust of the eyes rather than by the law of God. The important thing to Samson was not pleasing the Lord or even pleasing his parents. What mattered most was pleasing himself. And so when God's will isn't permitted to rule in our lives, we are ultimately the loser, ultimately. Here's something to carefully consider today. And I think about this very, very often. And I I just want to throw this challenge to you today and I pray that it's not just vaporized. But you see, God will often accomplish his purpose with us or sometimes in spite of us. Amen. I don't really even know how to explain all that's on my heart today, but I want to make sure that when I stand in this pulpit, that God's anointing that is upon my life when I'm preaching or teaching the word is an anointing that God had blessed me with and not just an anointing to feed you with. Let me just say that one more time. And I want to make this a broad statement to every minister and to every leader in this church. I want to make sure that when God anoints me, he anoints me for me and not out of pity for you. Amen. So, well, I know you've been living like the devil all week, but here's some innocent sheep that showed up to eat today, so I'm going to anoint you to feed them. Well, that could make me feel like, well, I'm doing all right. Amen. (laughs) That online gambling didn't affect me at all. Just pluck that out of the air. Or either the Lord dropped it in my heart, one of the two. Everything seemed to go well. It, it's, it's okay. It all ended well. People were blessed in the altar. Somebody got healed. Somebody got the Holy Ghost. God was using Samson in spite of Samson. And so I would challenge every saint in this house just because we come to the church house and we would lift our hands and begin to feel the presence of the Lord. Is that God blessing you for you? 
or are we just kind of under the spout of somebody else's blessing? Have we prayed prayers and asked God to touch us and anoint this service? I want to pray and ask God myself. Amen. Please don't go to the, let me go to the pulpit without you. Lord, I want to make sure that I am going to take you with me when I come to this sacred desk. And so, uh, here, here was, here was a man that God either can bless us or he can work in spite of us. And I just ask you to use that as a prism in your own life. Samson should have been going to war instead of going to a wedding. And, but, but, and because of this event, he was completely uh, outside of the real plan of God. But in the midst of all this, Samson killed 30 men, burned up enemy crops, slumbered, slaughtered a number of the Philistines. He hadn't planned on these things, but God worked them out nevertheless. But I don't want to just live on the mercy side of God. I want to live in the will of God. Amen. When Samson and his parents went down to Timnah to make arrangements for this wedding, it appears that Samson left the main road, apparently from Scripture, and uh, took a detour and went through the vineyards. And it was in there, uh, while he was visiting these vineyards, that the lion attacked him. And and think about it one more time. I'm not picking, but just think about it one more time. I, I would think that a man who had a, a covenant with God to stay away from grapes and strong drinks and things, what would you be doing in a vineyard? The vineyard's clearly off the beaten path. Amen, the lion, and I'm not trying to change our mind about Bible stories, but the lion that we see Samson slaying with his bare hands may have been God's merciful warning. Amen, to say, Samson, you've got no business being in this vineyard. You need to get back out. Amen, I pray that God would touch us and that we don't just see things in our life and misunderstand the mercy of God. Amen, misunderstood mercy, friend, can get us in trouble. I don't wanna just feel the effects of your prayer. <clears throat> I don't want to feel the effects of decades of someone else's dedication, but I want to make sure that I am making the right investment myself. Amen. God's mercy. No matter what, Samson persisted on his path of disobedience. Some weeks later when Samson returned to claim his bride, and you'd have to understand the culture of this, he once again turned aside to the vineyard the lion didn't work. This time it was to look at his trophy, maybe to gloat over his own victory. But when Samson reached into the carcass of that lion's and got the honey, he now has defiled himself by touching something dead. Now another portion of his Nazarite vow is destroyed. In fact, two-thirds of the vow is now gone. He's defied himself by going to the vineyard and now eating food from a dead body. And for whatever, for whatever reason, Samson decided, I'm going to just give a little riddle here. But when you think about the riddle, there was nothing cute about this at all. Not at all. Because he constructed the riddle from his experience of sin. Amen when we can laugh and joke about things we know are clearly outside of the bounds of God, friend, we are in some serious trouble. So at a wedding party, Samson throws out a riddle. Everybody thinks he's just entertaining the folks, but he's really talking about something that should have been really under the blood. And he's making light of that. 
Amen. But when you joke about things, that's a very, very serious thing. I'm going to close with this. While we know well the end of Samson's life, we know about Delilah and, and how he wound up. I just wanted to make a journey today, a small journey of the events that led up to this moment. Because you see, when we see someone at this critical demise, we think, oh my, that just happened overnight. No, nothing could be further from the truth. It was just playing with sin here. Amen. It was, it was, even in his own life, it was parents that wouldn't be parents and say, you can't go there. You can't do that. Amen. It was those that were in his life to be a voice, not just a, a voice of reason, but a, a fence, a gate, a guard that says we can't go there. We have to preserve and protect what's in your life. There needs to be a clear warning in our own heart and our lives. And I think that, that the psalmist David perhaps gives us something to consider here this evening or this morning. And, and so I leave you with this. Psalms 32 and 8. The Bible says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go, and I will guide thee with mine eye. Think about that. I will instruct thee and I will teach thee in the way which thou shalt go, and I will guide thee with mine eye. I think parents and children alike understand what it means to be guided with an eye. I don't mean that just in a negative connotation. I, I have received more than one death stare from my mother and father. They're just kind of guiding me with their eye. But I have also received a look of affirmation from those same eyes that were no voice, no head nod. There was just something in their eyes. They were guiding me. They were leading me. And the Lord said, I would instruct thee and I would teach thee in the way which thou shalt go I will guide thee with mine eye listen to this next verse here's the admonition be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle lest they come near unto thee be, don't, don't be like that don't be that one that has to be bridled a bit in your mouth to get you to stop, to go, to turn left, to turn right. He said, what I really want to do is guide you with my eyes. Samson, what a tragic story. What a tragic loss. Amen. So if we're looking by faith today as we stand, he can guide us with his eyes. But if we turn our backs on him, hear me now, if we turn our back on the will of God, you won't see that guiding eye. You haven't left yourself in a position to see that eye. Amen. So let's not turn our back. Samson was either impulsively rushing ahead like a horse or stubbornly holding back like a mule, apparently. And by doing so, he became, he failed rather, to became fully aware of what God desired for him to be. And so I asked every adult here to take this to heart and I ask every young person to take this to heart let the spirit of God lead us let him lead us I was um, this week watching the funeral service of brother Benny DeMerchant he has had a couple of funerals memorial services in one in Brazil one in New Brunswick where he was from 
and began to hear the stories of how just as a young man he felt God call him a young man. His wife, as a young lady, was in prayer, just a young girl. And the Lord spoke one word to her as a child, a young girl. One word, Brazil. She had no idea what that meant, but God did. So I want to admonish our youth. I want to admonish our parents. Let's create an atmosphere in our home and in our lives where the Spirit of God can speak because he may just have one word. And I wouldn't want to miss that one word. Amen. Let's magnify the Lord together. And Could you praise him and worship him today in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.